Hey everyone, my name is Brooke Ferreira. I'm a licensed associate marriage and family therapist. Each week you'll be listening to me or one of my guests talk about what it takes to really live authentically. So this is the Nurture and Be podcast. Happy 2022! I can't even believe that I am saying that. I mean, it just feels so unreal that we're already down another year. Um, I'm hoping that this year will feel joyful and light and um, productive and um, just great. It's been a pretty heavy the last two years, and I think a really good way to get this year kicked off on the right foot is with Dr. Nari Jeter. She is our guest today, and she's a teaching faculty at Florida State University and a licensed marriage and family therapist. She also recently started a coaching business to help college students to be successful and grow in college and beyond. She is so sweet, and you can just feel the kindness in her energy. Um, She's really knowledgeable. She's a true go-getter and achiever, and she has so much to give to you guys and to me, and she's really poured into me at my journey at Florida State um, and really got me to where I am today. So I owe her a lot. And I'm excited for her to pass her knowledge on to y'all. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of the Nurture and Be podcast. I know you heard my introduction on Dr. Nari Jeter, but I'm really excited to have her here. We go back and I feel like I'm taking on a new role as being like peer and what's the word? Colleague versus student. So it's kind of a new dynamic that we've got going on. Hi, Dr. Jeter. Hi, Brooke. It's I'm so um, glad to be on here. And yes, I'm so excited that we have like a different relationship. I'm so very proud of you. You were a shining star in school and you're just going to keep heading in that direction. So this is no surprise to me. And I'm proud to say that we are peers and colleagues. <laughs> Thank you. It's very sweet. So I want to just start us off. If you can tell us who you are and what you do and kind of what you've got going on in your world right now. Yeah. So um, I definitely always have a lot going on. (laughs) I like to keep it that way. And then kind of question like, why am I tired? Why do I feel so busy? But I am a teaching faculty member at FSU in, I don't know if you know this, but they rebranded the name of our department. So it was formerly Family and Child Sciences. It's now Human Development and Family Science. So yeah, it's not full. And so I teach in the undergraduate um, portion of that department, teach classes on family relationships, and now I'm doing the senior um, practicum as well, making sure um, students find that practicum and kind of mentoring them through the process. And then I also have a private practice where um, I try to really... um, best serve my clients by focusing on first and foremost couples in what I call the entire marital spectrum. So premarital, um, marriage counseling, and then I do a lot of um, divorce and separation, co-parenting, and blended families. So I, I like to kind of serve couples as they maybe navigate through, you know, regular marriage problems or through a divorce or re-blending of families. So that's my passion. I do see um, some individual clients with um, 
depression and anxiety, um, but I mainly focus on, a, you know, adult-ish people from about 15 or 16 <laughs> on up. And so I love that. I love that my clinical work can be a basis for just helping students understand family phenomenon in the classroom. Um, and I also love that kind of learning how to teach students in the classroom teaches uh, or keeps my skills sharp for mm -hmm. the clinical work. Um, I think, I mean, I know, you know, as a therapist, you, you wear many hats and sometimes that is a collaborator and a listener, but it's a problem solver. And it's also a teacher. You, you do provide that, um, you know, psychoeducation uh, about certain things. And so I think having sharp teaching skills does help me in the therapy room. Mm -hmm. So those are my two main things. I'm also a mom. I'm also <laughs> a wife. And I love that. I live with three men. So they, they keep me on the, my toes. And I definitely get, get spoiled because I get to be the only girl in the house. And um and then I recently started a business. So um, I know we'll talk more about that later, but um, I mean, I just, I'm really excited. I, I know it's a lot. It feels like a lot sometimes, but I also feel just in my mindset that we always have room to grow. I feel, you know, invigorated. I feel inspired when I get to grow. So trying new things that are outside of my comfort zone, uh, it definitely gives me that room and that opportunity. I love that because I love the bravery that goes along with that. You know, the opportunity to fail is there and trying something new works that muscle. And so I think this episode is going to be so important because as we are in 2022, which I can't even believe that this whole year has gone by. Um, and when I think about the past two years, really 2020 was kind of a bust. <laughs> 2021, we felt the lingering effects of that. And then going into 2022, I think it is about setting new goals and figuring out what we want this year to look like and how are we going to try new things and kind of rework those muscles again. And so I, you're the expert on this topic as you take, and take on so many challenges at the same time. So I'm really excited. And fun fact, you are the reason that I am a therapist. Oh, that's it. That like makes my heart want to explode. And I remember you telling me that. And I think sometimes, you know, um, at a, at a really large university, I teach five or 600 students a semester and, you know, I really try to be approachable, but I know students are busy, their lives are jam packed. So if I even get to know five to 10% of my students on a personal level, that's important. But when, it, when a student will say, you know, like you told me then Brooke, and you, you've told me now, it just, it really is that reminder of like, this is why I do this. And, um, you know, I have kind of that similar story of just having college mentors that really spoke into my life um, who didn't just, you know, write me a grade, but said like, this is what I see in you. And it changed the tra trajectory of my life, you know? And so um, I do feel like at the end of the day, when you get to look back on your life and say, what did I do that was meaningful? Um, you know, having the opportunity to change someone's lives or, or speak into their lives in a positive way I think that for me is, would be saying, okay, I fulfilled my purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you did. 
<laughs> and in turn, you. speaking into so many, you know, because with me being a therapist, I am often doing that same thing. So you really, I mean, it's a trickle effect. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> so talk to me about, you know, you're a goal getter. You, you have the vision. Were you always like this? Like, where did this come from? How did your childhood impact that, that impact you in this way? Yeah, I, yeah, I do think, um, I don't know if it's genes, nurture, nature, (laughs) probably, as we know, the combination of both, but actually what's so funny is, um, my mom used to say to me, you're a go-getter. And I don't know if you just hear that enough Uh or you just start to believe it, or she saw something in me and she was just reflecting it back to me, but I was always like a busybody as a kid. So, um, you know, if I got done with my work, I'd want to go help other kids. Like I just didn't want to sit still. I always felt like downtime. I I was probably a little uncomfortable with downtime, but I also think a lot of that was relational too. I just, I love being around people. So, um, a lot of my goals are always connected to some kind of relational outcome, like having good relationships with people, or if I do this, then I can foster um, you know, or nurture other people along the way. So I, I definitely, I mean, my mom was my biggest influence growing up and she, um, you know, was an immigrant from Korea and she came here when she was really young and she had to work really hard, um, to take care of us. And so I, I never really saw my mom sitting down and if she was, she was always doing something, productive. And, and what I, what I mean is like, she, she would be sewing things by hand or like making decorations. And so she would, she would see something and say like, Oh, I can make that, or I can do that. And I think in my mind that just nurtured that like productive doesn't mean like you have to be making money or like reading a book, but just, she was always challenging herself to, to grow in that direction. And I, and I think too, for me, you know, she provided those resources for me if I wanted to do something. Um, so yeah, as I got older, I think the, the like memory I most have of just really deciding I'm going to kind of push myself was I was, um, a senior in high school and I, um, had never been in like theater or anything like that, but I had danced when I was younger. I was a cheerleader. I was, I had been in chorus like most of my life and there was the school play that was happening. Um, and it was Greece and I loved Greece and I knew there was like singing and dancing. And so without telling anybody, I didn't tell my friends, I didn't tell my parents, I, you had to like prepare a piece for singing and you had to do the dance audition. And I just went and auditioned and I was like, what do I have to lose? You know, I really don't have anything to lose, you know, and I'm not going to be a professional actress, but I just want to do it because it's fun. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I tried out, I made it. I was the, I was cha-cha, I was like the main dancer, um, which was exciting. And I came home and told my parents like, um, I'm going to be cha-cha in Greece. And they, they had watched it a bunch and they were like, we didn't even know that you were trying out for a school play. And I think that like registered to me in my mind that, um, you know, you can do hard things. You can do things outside of your comfort zone. And for me too, it was more like personal. Like I didn't have to tell everybody I was doing this back then there was no Facebook or Instagram. I didn't have to advertise that. 
I just decided I was going to do it and, and just kind of see what happened. Um, <laughs> and so that was like, just funny to me, the big aha moment of setting a goal quietly mm-hmm. in your own mind and then following through with it without fear of like rejection. Mm-hmm. And that I think kind of developed into this motto. I continuously carry with me and share with my students which is like, make the world tell you no. Um, And I feel like when you, I believe that when you like disqualify yourself, you know, and you say, oh, I don't have those qualifications or I, you know, I don't have that education. That's you telling yourself no. Mm -hmm. And my thing is you never quite know, like, what's open or what's available. Like, let's say someone is advertising for a job and they say must have two years of experience. Well, a lot of people read that and go, I don't have two years of experience, so I'm just not going to even apply. And that's you telling you no. But I would look at those those job announcements and be like, I'm going to apply anyways. And if they want to, they can tell me no. And what I have found is, a lot of those times they don't have the right candidates They don't, or they see something in you that they go, you know what? I would rather take this person who has no experience because they're mo- they're like moldable or I see the potential in them and I'm willing to invest in them. Um, and so I'm really big on that is that I'm not going to like look at something and say, well, you know, I don't, I don't have the skill set for that. Maybe not yet, but you can grow into that. I mean, when I did my play in Greece, I had never done a play before. I didn't know how like rehearsals worked and I didn't know how much work. I mean, it was a lot of work. I spent 10 hours on the weekends in rehearsals. I never done a show. I've never done a show since then, but it was so fun, you know? And so, um, I just, I look back at that and go, okay, something clicked along the way of, when I set a goal, I'm not so much concerned about like even always the outcome or like achieving it as much as like the fun of, um, you know, is it possible? And like, what am I going to learn and grow out of this situation? I think that's a very unique mindset. And I can hear some people saying, well, what if I don't feel like I'm qualified for that job? Why would I apply? Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, have it sounds like at least from, you know, the play and on, you've had this mindset of, well, I can just try and worst case scenario, they say no, or I don't get it. And no big deal. Do you have any insight for people who feel that fear of, well, what if they say no, or what if I'm not good enough? Well, and so I think that goes back to though, like you have that safety net. Like if you apply for a job, where they say you need two years of experience and you don't have it, you can always then like go back to the reality of maybe they were truly looking for someone with two years of experience. Like there's there in my mindset, there's no real rejection there. Um, There's that sense of like, okay, that they were sticking to that boundary or to that standard. Um, And so, you know, I, I always try to help, people remember when you're looking at like a goal of like applying for a job, it's, it's not just about, you know, you being a good fit for them. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a relationship. So also remembering that someone else should, 
someplace else should be a good fit for you. And when someone tells you no, it's it's not just you may have to consider the perspective that you would not be like happy in that culture. You would not the things that they're looking for in you are not just about like a like a list of qualifications. Um or just like you as a person, but it, it's it's like a fit. It's the existence of the relationship between you and them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's so important. Um, I mean, I think there's this balance, and I know you really emphasize like self-worth and confidence. And I know that for me, when I don't get something I want, sometimes I, I feel frustrated and my or my feelings get hurt. But I read this quote a long time ago and it's really stuck with me is that we need to keep our feelings separate from our self-worth mm. because our feelings are going to get hurt mm-hmm. over and over and over again in life. But that should not like affect our self-worth. Our self-worth should not be contingent upon our feelings. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have days where we have a conflict or, you know, we don't do well on a test or, you know, we overdraw our bank account. And, but we need to keep those two things like separate from each other. And so I think that's important for me to go, it's okay for me to feel disappointed or like, let down or maybe frustrated or overlooked mm-hmm. or scared, but that I have to keep those separate from how I see myself and my worth and my confidence and, and be able to say, it's okay to feel that way, but I can move forward from this. I, as you're talking, my friend sent me a quote yesterday and I want to read it because it, it feels so fitting. So it's, um, What they don't understand about birthdays and what they never tell you is that when you're 11, you're also 10 and 9 and 8 and 7 and 6 and 5 and 4 and 3 and 2 and 1. And when you wake up on your 11th birthday, you expect to feel 11 again, or you you expect to feel 11, but you don't. You open your eyes and everything's just like yesterday, only it's today. And you are underneath the year that makes you 11. Like some days you might say something stupid And that part of you, that's still 10. Or maybe some days you might need to sit on your mom's lap because you're scared. And that part of you is five. And maybe one day when you're all grown up, you will, you will even need to cry like if you were three and that's okay. And I loved that quote because it's exactly what you're saying here. It's, we are able to have these moments of feeling sad or disappointed or hurt or rejected, but that doesn't mean that what we're doing today is any less valuable or isn't a step forward in some way. And so I really, it just, when you're talking, I thought about that quote as well. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I think kind of connecting it back to the stories we were saying, like when I tell that story, Brooke, about being 17, I mean, I'm 41, (laughs) but I'm still really proud of that experience. Um, And so, yeah, that's, 17 year old version of Nari still exists like inside of me. And I don't, I don't want to minimize that. And I think one of the struggles I have about like being in academia and being a therapist um, or having, you know, a title like doctor in front of your name is I think sometimes people expect you to say these like really Mm -hmm. profound things all the time. And then when you tell them like, 
you know, one of the things I'm really proud of is that I was in a school play and, you know, or for me, like another more recent thing was, um, you know, I started running and I'm, a, I mean, a terrible runner, like running is not my, but when my son, my oldest son was about a year and a half, I really needed some alone time. I needed some exercise, um, you know, to just help with my overall mental health. And I wasn't able to get to the gym. So I had always said, I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner. And of course, you know, I taught, that's what I told myself. So I, I took that, you know, out of my experience. And then, um, you know, I had a friend who was a runner and she kept saying like, you can do it. Yes, you can. Anyone can run. Like there's no, you don't have to run fast. You don't, you know? And so I started, you know, just listening. And one day I just decided I'm going to do it. Brooke, it was like the heat of July. It was three o'clock in the afternoon of all times to, to say, I'm going to go for a run. That was like not the smartest time. And it was miserable. I remember thinking, this is terrible. But I was like, you know what, all I'm going to do, and this is my, my plan for anything that I am trying to achieve is I'm going to do a little bit more the next time than I did before. That was my only goal. So it wasn't like I'm going to run a half marathon, or I'm going to run a sub eight minute mile. It was literally like, every time I go out, so I made a goal and talked to my running friend and she said, try to run three times a week. And so I was like, okay, I can commit to that. Mm -hmm. And my only goal was like, if I ran one mile one time, then the next time it was, I need to run one mile and three more steps. Mm -hmm. Like that, that was it. And I'm so proud to be able to say that, like I started running in July and my confidence built up so quickly with that, that particular plan in mind that by Thanksgiving of that same year, so whatever, um, five months, six, four months later, I had run, like, I think my longest run was 10 miles. Now, what? If you, yes. If you had told me, Nari, you're going to run 10 miles one day, I'd be like, you must have the wrong person. Like, you don't know me. Like, I don't do that. And it, and again, it, it wasn't like, you know, I was going to shatter any records by any means, but I really wow. found like peace and like pride. And really at that stage of my life, I try to like come up with like a motto or mantra for myself to motivate me. And so that was my mantra was I can do hard things mm -hmm. and running. And it still is like, mm -hmm. since then, I mean, I've been running on and off for six years now and, um, it's still hard for me, but my mantra when I run is I can do something that's hard and it, I don't have to be the best at it, but I, I want to beat my own mentality mm -hmm. of, I can't do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, when sometimes kind of getting back to, I think when we talk about goal, goal setting or we talk about achieving things, people want to hear like something really profound for mm -hmm. me. And I'm like, no, it's, it's the little whispers in my mind mm -hmm. that tell me that I can't do it, that I end up like talking back mm -hmm. to very quietly. And then again, setting some goals for myself and, and executing them in my own life. That is where I get the most pride. And honestly, it's exponential because anytime I feel like I can't do something, I go back to those things mm -hmm. and I'm like, 
but I said I, I couldn't be in a play or I said mm-hmm. I couldn't run. And those are the reminders to me of like, I've done hard things before. I've achieved things before that I never thought I could. So I know I can do this. Mm-hmm. And it really feeds my confidence for anything in the future. Well, and something important that I'm hearing you say, and maybe you don't even realize it as important, but every single story you've told, you didn't talk about how everybody else praised you. It was, I was really excited. I couldn't believe that I did that. I set these goals, right? And I think that is a mindset shift that we have to make to be able to achieve these goals. Because when we place worth or like we want to finish this goal for somebody else, the motivation isn't there. Is Do you agree? Or is- oh my gosh, you just gave me like a therapy nugget. I did not see that. I, you know, because I will say, Brooke, like throughout my life, I have struggled with like that needing like praise or like people pleasing mm-hmm. or like some perfectionism, like mm-hmm. wanting to appear perfect to everyone. Mm-hmm. So that to me was just golden that you said <laughs> that because that even further, it just in- increases my pride. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I've gone through that running journey every time. And I don't think my husband knows how important this is to me, but like every time I come home, he'll ask me, how far did you run? Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll say like now to the point, I'll say, Oh, just three miles. That's like my standard run. And he'll be like, just, he says this every time. He's like, just, he's like three miles is a long run, Nari. Like, uh-huh. you know, and so he, he's always checking in with me. Um, and it, and it, it just is so, I, you know, I'm so lucky to have a husband who, you know, every time I run still acts like it's like the first time oh. I'm running. But that being said, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking of that. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like how great it's going to feel for me to say I finished, you know, mm-hmm. that three mile run. So yeah, I love that you pointed that out. I, I've never thought about it like that, but that's important. It's, now that you say it, what comes to mind is that these goals are like sacred almost mm-hmm. because they're mine. Like they're for me. I didn't do them for anyone else. And I, I think that when people start setting goals that are for everyone else, mm-hmm. they, 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 even when you achieve them, they lose their significance, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no. For sure. And I, I really want to shift into some take-home strategies for people who are feeling like, okay, I got it. I'm going to make goals for myself, but how do I do that? And how do I follow through with them? But before we shift into that, I want to take a break. So we will be right back, guys. Okay. I know you guys are loving the episode so far, so I want to give you an opportunity to dive a little bit further. This week, our ad is on the Prosper, the Prosper School. Nari, I want to give it to you to, you know, tell us all about it. Yeah. Thanks, Brooke. Um, the Prosper School, so the actual technical business name is Dr. Nari Jeter and the Prosper School. Had to be long for copyright purposes, <laughs> but um, that is my coaching and consulting business. And um, I have developed courses specifically targeted towards college students. It's such a critical point in their lives. And I don't want college students to feel lost and alone in the shuffle of all the classes um, and being kind of maybe just a number sometimes in the classroom or just an anonymous person. So I really have a heart and a passion for helping people 
people realize their full potential. And I um, have the experience of people investing in me. So mm -hmm. I want to give that back to college students. So if you check out my website, www.theprosperschool.com, um, you will find courses there um, targeting college student issues like time management, scheduling and organization, um, just a full roadmap to like all the different things you need to do in college, as well as how to get ready for grad school, those types of things. And also I will have um, blogs with just tips and reminders um, and also um, a podcast to be coming in 2022 to really kind of um, immerse college students in the stories of successful college graduates. So um, again, theprosperschool.com or following me on Facebook or Instagram at the Prosper prosper school awesome and then i will put all that in the show notes for y'all so you have it there okay. as well all right well welcome back so we want to start this half by really diving in and exploring what are the barriers to achieving those goals that we're talking about or staying organized so i would love to hear common ones that you see that you've experienced all the above Right. So Brooke, when you sent me like kind of a list of questions, I was so proud of you because <laughs> the fact that you even asked the question about barriers is the number one most important thing mm -hmm. um, in achieving a goal, being organized, is recognizing that there are going to be barriers and being prepared for them. That doesn't always mean that you'll know every single <laughs> thing that's going to come in and like jump in your way, mm -hmm. so to speak. But the mindset of like, some days are going to be easy, some days are going to be hard, you know, something's going to come up and like, pull, pull my time, I might get sick, you know, um, as a parent, it was like, my kids might get sick for a week, you know, I need to expect that that happens. So some of it is the actual awareness of the fact that when you're on the road to achieving a goal, it is not going to be like smooth sailing. And to just expect barriers and to normalize that and be able to, when they come up, like, just take a deep breath and say, I don't need to quit here. What can I do to rest? What can I do to regroup, um, to like reframe all my R words, but don't quit. Just take a pause if you need to, or just reduce your expectations of like what you can get done, but just keep, even if it's just inches of progress, you know, try to keep some of that progress going. So it, along those lines, one, expecting barriers but also closely with that too, having the mindset that barriers are not, are not going to completely stop you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's so important and not personalizing those barriers, mm -hmm. like not telling yourself like, Oh, well, if I was a tougher, stronger, more motivated person, <laughs> I wouldn't let this barrier get in my way. No, absolutely not. That's, you know, some rigid thinking. I think it's important to go, we all have those moments. We all have those things in life. And so it's really important for me to just say to myself again, like I'm still working hard. I'm still a good person. It's just that there's only so much time in a day. And if I'm sick or I have to take care of someone that's sick or an emergency project comes up and I have to shift gears, there's nothing wrong with me that I didn't stay to like 
my original path. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's, um, another common barrier is having that mindset of, okay, well, if I stop, then I'm a failure, Mm -hmm. you know, or I've, I've quit or I'm never going to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as far as barriers to staying organized, one of the things I really push with people is having a system. Mm -hmm. Um, it, you you know, when you're a marriage and family therapist, you know, Brooke, Mm -hmm. (laughs) system is like your favorite Mm -hmm. word, like families or systems Mm -hmm. We're you know, we're all in these embedded in these systems, but everybody has to have a system for how their life can can work and operate. And I mean, we do, I think generally like we have systems for like how we cook or like how we wash the dishes. I don't know about you, but like, I like, I don't, I don't do the fill up the sink system. Like I just leave the water running and like scrub the dishes, rinse them and put them aside. Even that, like how we do our dishes, we have a system and it, it's what works for us. And so I think when you're talking about having a goal or staying organized, you can listen to all the experts in the world of mm-hmm. like how you should organize yourself, but the most important way is the way that works for you. So I think what that means is finding a bunch of different ways and then sticking to a certain way when it has um, positive outcomes in your life, but also recognizing when a system doesn't work for you anymore and then going, eh, nope, I'm going to ditch this. I'm not going to just stick to it just because it's worked in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I know for me, for example, I have been like, um, my system is like, uh, a planner. Like I always, I like write things in a planner and I know so many people my age and even younger use like Google calendars and all those types of things. And I just, I still haven't migrated to that yet, but I have accepted that maybe at one point in time, if I'm collaborating with lots of other people, Um, I may have to migrate to a more online system where everyone has access to my calendar. But right now, um, I'm, you know, that system works for me. I don't need to change it. Um, I've always been a list writer. When I was a little girl, my mom would take us back to school shopping and I would write down, I want like two pairs of jeans and like one pair of boots. And I would write everything down. And so for me, making lists is a really great system. Um, other people do post-it notes, reminders, alerts on their phone, but as far as staying organized, it, it is the consistency of doing it. Um, and I think that's also important is making it like a ritual. So my ritual for organization is I have several throughout the week. One is because I work on an academic schedule. So we organize our life in academia by like a lot of times by weeks, you know? So I sit down on Sunday night and look at all my syllabi for my different courses, look at what's coming up, um, take that time on Sunday to put, put out announcements and reminders to my students, organize, you know, their canvas pages. And that's kind of like my Sunday night or like first thing Monday morning ritual. And Mm -hmm. and that helps me feel set up for the week. But I also have a like kind of like a daily ritual. So I have, you know, um, a calendar, um, where I either write things down or I look at my, my calendar on my phone and I, and I see, for example, who my clients are for the day. So my ritual is, 
as I'm getting ready in the morning, I look at who my clients are for the day and I start thinking about their last session and what we kind of left off as and what I want to accomplish in that session or things that maybe I want to say that I didn't say in the last session. Mm -hmm. So I, I have this, like, it's just a mindset ritual where I just try to be in that mindset of being mindful about the rest of the way my day looks. And so, um, for me though, it's very much like what works for me will not work for you, but having a system and making it a part of your daily or weekly life is, is so important. I have two things. I have a question and I, I want to go back cause I don't want to breeze over this. Cause I think it's really important. When you had said that not everybody's system is going to work for everybody. I think that releases so much shame, especially in a culture where there's so many like self-improvement books and strategies that I, for myself, I found myself being like, oh my gosh, the morning routine doesn't work for me or the morning miracle or whatever the heck they call it. Yeah, the miracle morning. Yes. Yeah, I know and, what you're talking about. and then I start to feel shame because that doesn't work for me. And so then I'm like, well, what is wrong with me that all these people are finding success from doing it, but I feel bogged down by it, mm-hmm. right? And so I think just hearing you say, well, it doesn't have to work for you, mm-hmm. releases that shame that I've been having or I have had in the past. Right, right. I, no, I'm, I'm so glad you say that. And I think that's why... It's so important to either go to therapy or like find a coach or, you know, even just have like a friend or a mentor who can validate that for you. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm a pretty smart and organized person, but I don't like, you know, my calendar on my phone. Mm-hmm. There's something for me that comes alive in my brain where I write things down, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you know, if someone said, well, you have to have Google calendars or you have to have, you know, like this going on, I I would probably struggle with that and probably secretly on the side. So I'll have my paper, my paper planner. But, um, I think, yeah, that's unfortunately we on the, on the upside, we have access to so much information Mm -hmm. with podcasts and books and, and the internet, but also it can, it can, you know, when you see how many likes someone has or how many Amazon reviews a book has and and, and you go, okay, like this is going to be the cure-all to my problem and you read it. Um, and then you go, okay, like, um, no, that doesn't work for me. I, I, I have this analogy when I'm like listening to a book because I, I very much love when people share knowledge and I'm such an eager student that a lot of times earlier in my life, I would find myself agreeing with everything someone would tell me, you know, because I just love hearing people's stories and knowledge. And then I, as I got older, I said, I I need to be like more discerning, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think about like how, like, if you were to go to a buffet restaurant, like you're, you're going to pick the things that you like, um, that, you know, you like, and then there might not be that much of a risk because you're like, I'm paying one price for all this food. I'm going to pick a couple of these things that are like kind of scary for me mm-hmm. and I'm going to try them. But if I don't like them, you know, I never have to do that again. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like how I view, like if you listen to an audiobook or you go to a podcast or even to a therapist, I think this is so important. Mm-hmm. Everyone's ideas of what makes 
can make you successful or feel better is not. And so I, I often will tell clients, like, just like with the analogy of the buffet, like I say, chew on it mm -hmm. before you decide if you like it, mm -hmm. you know? And if you, as you're chewing on it and you go, okay, I've, I've held on to this for a little bit. I don't like it. Then just put it away, mm -hmm. you know? And so as I am digesting material, like listening to a podcast or listening to an audiobook, I will literally be like, I'm going to just chew on this and let this sit with me before I decide if this is going to work for me or not. Mm -hmm. And the difference between chewing and swallowing is chewing is like tasting swallowing is absorbing mm. and we don't have to absorb everything into us that's presented you know we have to chew first mm -hmm. and then we can decide to absorb um and so when you're talking about these systems of organization scheduling goal setting um i just want people to feel the freedom to say what worked for you may not work for me but i want you to pursue you know, vigorously finding a way that works for you. I love that so much. And I think that is going to hit so many people. Um, and another thing I'm thinking about too is, and I, I heard my voice come up. I heard a couple of my clients' voices come up around. Sometimes it feels like I can see the goal. I know what I want, but there's a thousand steps to get there that I'm like, well, there's a thousand steps. So why even take one? Mm -hmm. Right. And that perfectionism gets in the way around, well, I can't do all those right now, or that feels like a really long goal, you know, so I'm just not even going to start. So how, mm -hmm. how would you advise with that kind of a mindset? Right. So it's funny, Brooke, when I, when I hear you say that, I think about how much I have to talk to myself. And I know like in the therapy world, when you're like, people hear voices or whatever, there's that question of, you know, sanity. But mm -hmm. I really do feel like um, I talk a lot during the day, but when I'm not talking, my inner dialogue mm -hmm. with myself is constantly going. And so I've had to really find like things to remind myself, like, you know, of the things I'm good at, but also to be like, but I wasn't good at that the first time I did that, you know? And so perfectionism, yeah, the, the perfectionist wants things to be perfect. And not, we all know that nothing can be, but nothing can be really, really good even without the starting place of being like not really that good. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I, I do, I go back to like mm -hmm. Nari. So for example, I played softball in college. Um, and it was, you know, a small like division three school. So it wasn't anything like Florida state, but the first time I played softball wasn't until fourth grade. And when mm -hmm. I tried in fourth grade, I stunk, you know, <laughs> but I loved it. I loved being with my friends. It was summer. It was fun. And, you know, and so I stuck with it and I just kept, you know, like practicing and getting better. And as I got older, people started branching off into different things that they like to do, but I still love that. And I, I continue to get better and better. And so I think we look at where we want to be and we think, oh my gosh, it's gonna, it's gonna take so long for me to get there. Um, I heard this a long time ago in like a motivational speech or like a sermon or something, but it, it's along those lines of people saying like, well, I don't want to, 
I don't want to go back to school and get my master's because it's going to take like two years. Or I don't want to start this business because it's not going to be successful for like three years. And the person was like kind of saying, do you plan on being gone in two years? Or do you plan on not existing in two years? Mm -hmm. And the person was like, no, I'm still going to be here. Mm -hmm. And his, then his response was, well, either you're going to be in one of two places. You're going to be where you want to be in two years, or you're going to be right where you're at now. Mm -hmm. You have a choice. And so I do tell myself that now is gosh, you know, what if, what if I start this business and I'm not successful till I'm 50? Well, or I, I could just be right here at 50, you know? And so, and then I, I do start thinking, well, I'm going to have learned so much between now and then. And so a lot of that to me, instead of focusing on the outcome, I start to back, go backwards and like focus on the, the process and reminding myself that all like new things require growth, require learning. And um, yeah, and not comparing, you know, again, where I'm at with someone who's been in business for 10 or 15 years. Because mm-hmm. um, that, that's just not fair. Mm-hmm. And, and when I find myself doing that, I will actually literally say to myself in my brain, I am my own coach. Nari, that's not fair for you to do that to yourself. So stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I would, you know, I would, I would, you know, tell you that, you know, Brooke, is that if you're, if, you know, it's great to look ahead. Those are dreams. Those are goals. Those are aspirations. But if you're looking at that and going, okay, well, you know, I'm, but I'm so far behind someone else or, you know, I don't know how to do those types of things. And I see other people who can, I think, then I would say, but that's, why are you, why are you comparing yourself? That's not, that's not fair to you. You're not giving yourself a shot. And the other thing too is you, even though someone else may have a similar goal, you are so special and unique that the way you're going to accomplish that goal and what you're going to bring to that situation is so different. Mm -hmm. And so like you're a marriage and family therapist, I'm a marriage and family therapist, but you're Brooke and you have all of these amazing life experiences that I haven't had that may not speak to certain like people that I see, but also wouldn't, you know, like they speak to all these people that you see and that's why they pursue therapy with you. And so sometimes when I get in that mindset of here's my goal and someone else has done it before or has done it better, I try to go back and say, I'm going to do it different. And someone else out there needs this version of me and my different, my different teaching style, my different therapy style, whatever that might be. I love that. And it's, it's really empowering to hear that too, because it eliminates all competition, right? Because there's literally no other version of me or version of you or version of this person, right? So it's like, okay, if we can show up and, you know, be authentic and really be rooted and grounded in this place that we are people are going to feel the fruit of that. So I love that. Is there anything else that you, any tips that you would love to share before we kind of shift into you telling us about the Prosper School? I know we mentioned it on the ad, but I want to give you space to mention it here too. No, I just, I think that the number one, like sometimes, you know, we don't need enemies outside of us when the number one enemy is 
within us, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think about how me as like a people pleaser and someone who wants to like exist harmoniously Mm -hmm. with everyone else around me, I think about that and how much effort I put into like wanting to make people feel good, to feel welcome, Mm -hmm. to feel nurtured. Um, A lot of my focus in life is very external. Um, and that's, that's a strength. I mean, I'm not gonna, it's good to have people like me around to tell other people, you know, like, I see this amazing gift that you have, or, you know, please, like, feel welcome to come to me anytime. Like, I, I do love that about myself. But what I think has happened in the first, you know, 39, 40 years of my life is I was so focused on the external that I didn't learn to cultivate the internal, Mm -hmm. the relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. And so I've done a lot of work on that, um, in the last couple of years. And I think, um, I always come back to like, I don't need to disqualify myself. Like the rest of the world will tell me no in certain, certain circumstances. Um, and that's okay. Um, I've really come to the piece of what is supposed to be mine will be mine. Mm -hmm. But, um, at the same time, I don't need to be um, my own worst enemy. I don't need to be the one telling me no for something that I can take a chance on. Or And so, again, you know, we see these things on Instagram or Facebook, but this meme that said, the voice inside your head is the one that is the loudest and that you hear the most often. And I feel like if in all the things that you do with goal setting and how you see yourself, if that voice in your head is unchecked, mm-hmm. then it's, you know, it's, it's, and it's running rampant with no leash and no <laughs> boundaries. That's, you know, that's not a good place to be in for, you know, your, your own growth and achieving your goals. And so I'm not saying that the voice in your head is always wrong. Cause if that voice in your head is cheerleading you, um, that's great. And now if the voice in my head was telling me, Nari, you can slam dunk on a 10 foot hoop. I would need to challenge that voice. Cause I am all of five foot two. And I don't think that's even possible. So we all have to, but we, I have to filter that and, and say, okay, that's probably not possible for me, but is it possible for me to be on a podcast? never crossed my mind. And then I saw your podcast and I reached out to you just to say like, Hey, like, I'm so excited. I'm so positive. And you were so gracious and had me here. So I can now cross that off my list Mm -hmm. of like things that I never thought would happen. So I want to be just, I want your listeners to be open to the opportunities Mm -hmm. and to not automatically say yes to everything Mm -hmm. and not automatically say no, like, no, I can't do that. No, I'm not qualified. I really just want them to chew on it. Mm -hmm. I want them to filter it. I want them to, to just, you know, let it be, you know, a possibility in their mind and talk through it with themselves. Um, so I think that's what I would leave, leave everyone with is just cultivate that relationship mm-hmm. with yourself. Um, mm-hmm. and that, you know, in goal setting and scheduling, well, you know, people's input matters, but what feels right to you, what feels like it's going to work. That is, I really think going to get you to where you need to be. 
you've left us with so many good tidbits. And the thing that I want to point out to all of you is most of this is mindset, right? And like, I know a lot of times we can come on to podcasts and we're like, okay, well, tell me like, what am I going to have to write down? Or what is the mapping strategy I'm going to need to do? And that is great. And we need that. But sometimes this is the harder work, right? Being able to check yourself and chew on things and listen to that inner voice and I want to plug therapy here because I think it's important. Um, so tell us about the Prosper School because I think that is also an opportunity to you know check these mindsets as well. Yes, absolutely. So the Prosper School was a mindset check for me. I um, always said to myself, I'm never going to own a business. I'm not a business person because honestly, while I know we need money to live and I like to have nice things and a nice lifestyle, I didn't want to deal with money. It was my mindset that I don't know how to handle money. Um, and I come from a family where my mom is has been a business owner and has worked in finance. So she is very adept in dealing with money. And I was always like, that skipped me. Um, and so um when I decided to start the Prosper School, it was by no means money motivated. It was motivated um, by the mindset that I need something that's mine for me. And and as you pointed out, Brooke, like it, it seems like the goals that I set for myself that really are most meaningful are the ones that I don't do for anyone else. So I was really like, I want, um, you know, a company. I want a thing that I've created that has my unique life experiences as a, you know, a first generation college student, as someone who's, you know, biracial and kind of lived in like a couple of different cultures and has come from a small town in Pennsylvania to the big city in Philadelphia, and then all the way down to Florida. So I just felt like I do have something to offer the world. And, and there's, I'm not losing anything here. I mean, yes, creating a business <laughs> does cost money, but at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm going to spend this money on other things, like tangible things or something really that is an investment in myself. Mm -hmm. So I decided to take my joy and love of college students um, with also my joy and love of therapy and kind of combine them into this like coaching um, format. And so what I envision for the Prosper School is um, developing these courses that students can purchase on demand that would solve a very quick problem. Like how do I get, you know, more organized or how do I ask for letters of recommendation, but also for students wanting and needing more of a mentorship relationship to be able to, um, you know, get coaching services for me to solve, you know, specific problems one-on-one. Um, -on -one. And I, of course, um, would love like doing podcasts and just sharing this information is so important. And also, um, yeah, I'm going to work on developing the Prosper School podcast and that will be focused on, and Brooke is on my list, <laughs> so um, focusing on recent college graduates and that transition mm -hmm. from college to life and what matters from college and maybe what doesn't and how not to stress about that so much. And then also, you know, providing some of my own like experience um, and what I have seen over the years. So it's going to be a blend of maybe sometimes just me presenting information, but really 
Um, I feel like stories are so powerful and so inspirational and they do because stories are so unique. They show you that there's no one pathway to success. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want college students to see as they go from college into quote unquote, the real world is there's no one path. There's so many ways to be successful. There's so many ways to get there. And I, I think that what happens in college is there's this drive of like, this is the way. Mm -hmm. And, um, no, that's not, that's not the case, you know? And so I want college students to feel relieved and inspired and see themselves and their potential through the stories of other people. I love it. And then your website, Instagram. Yes. So my website is www.theprosper, like the word prosperity, like being prosperous. So theprosperschool.com and Instagram is the prosper school as well as Facebook. So I'm excited. Well, everyone, Dr. Nari Jeter, thank you for being on here. It's been a pleasure and I'm excited to see, you know, I I feel like this is the beginning, the re-beginning of our relationship. Absolutely. I want to collaborate so much more. And if I can ever be of service to you, please, Brooke, let me know.